0: I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. On this week's episode of the podcast, I'm thrilled to chat. With the duo behind sea monsters, John Lee and Jai Kim. They've cracked the code on making seaweed not just edible, but irresistibly snackable. Their seaweed puffs are making waves, especially among the kids, and they're hitting shelves nationwide. We'll dive deep into how they came up with the ocean-inspired treat and what it's like riding the snack food wave. Tune in and we hope you enjoy the show. Where are you both based? Are you both in New York? Um,
1: So I went to college here. I went to NYU, and I met John, weirdly, like after I graduated, I was supposed to go to law school, and I decided last minute, no law for me because I'd been working at the attorney general's office all through college because I wanted to go into private sector law. And my mom said, okay, well, you, you don't have any plans. You're not taking the... I can't remember what the test is called. It's been that long. Um, and she says, so why don't you go to Korea and like, you know, just take a year and learn the language. And subtext is go to Korea, meet a nice Korean boy, get married, have babies. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I know what she wants, but that's not that's, that's OK, because I want something else. I just want like a year off to recoup and figure out um, what I'm doing. And it turns out that I met John my first day in Seoul, the capital of Korea, And then we just kind of, you know, we kind of fell in love really quickly, like seven days moved in. And then, uh, yeah, it's awesome. No, it's it is. I think something about (sighs) traveling abroad, like it primes you for like really intense experiences. I think something happens in your brain chemistry when you're in a new place. And I think falling in love in like a new country, like amps that up four times. I'm just throwing that number out there. I have no idea.
0: I feel like you're also there kind of, like kind of alone so then you have like one person that you know makes it even more intense i would imagine that's... i have no idea what i'm talking about
1: <laughs> that's right you have no distractions in other words so you can like really obsess about that one thing um yeah but john uh, john's actually not an american <sighs> he grew up in well, both of us were born in korea john immigrated to was it Borneo, John, or just Malaysia?
2: So I grew up in, um, let's see, I was, I was born and at five years old, my parents decided to move to Borneo. And uh, so we all moved to Borneo. And then when I was 10, they decided to move to, to West Malaysia. So we moved to Kuala Lumpur, which is in West Malaysia. And then um, at 15, 16, um, we had to move outside of Malaysia because uh, in Malaysia, it's made up of three main ethnicities: is Indian, Chinese, and Malay. And unless you're one of those three, it's really difficult to get to tertiary education. So we, we, my sister and I, ended up moving to Australia. We studied there for a couple of years, and then my family decided to move to New Zealand. So I'm actually from New Zealand. Wow. I have a New Zealand passport. My my sister is a, a member of Parliament in in New Zealand. You know, wow. I have I have ties to New Zealand. So yeah, that's where I'm from.
0: What a crazy uh, experience coming from somebody that didn't move around like that growing up.
2: Yeah, but I feel feel like New York is kind of like the destination for people like us for some reason. I, I don't know. I feel like I don't feel... Like, I'm an outsider in New York. It feels like I've been here for a long time. I guess we've been here for a long time. We've been married for 27, 26 years or something like that.
1: We've been married a long time. So, John, you know, when I first floated, the, okay, so we met, we met in Seoul. He got transferred. He was working for Levi's at the time as um, sort of their guerrilla marketing, you know, uh, creative director. So they poached him in Japan. So he moved to Japan, Tokyo, three months into our relationship. And he said, oh, come live with me in Japan. And eventually I did. I finished out my year in Korea, went to live in Japan. And um, it's really hard to get a visa in Japan unless you're sponsored by a company. So I had to leave the country every three months if I wanted to stay you know, in Tokyo for a long period of time just to re- re-up my visa. And Levi said, hey, if you guys get married... Um, we can take care of all of this for you. And we were so dumb and young and stupid. We're like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's just do it. (laughs) So we actually just, he went to the New Zealand consulate. I went to the US consulate. We got our marriage certificate papers. I don't remember what it said, but it essentially says, you know, marriage bureau of Japan, these two people can get married and it's official. And then we went to the Japanese um, marriage board, I guess it would be like city hall, but there was no ceremony. And we gave Three bucks, and he slid over like ten copies of the Japanese marriage certificate, all in Japanese, and uh, that was our wedding. It was weird, and we dressed up I like love, coordinated I love. corduroy outfits because we're we like <laughs> we're like we have no audience. I don't like dresses. John worked for Levi's. I was like, all right, we'll just wear a corduroy jacket, corduroy pants. It'll be like different hues of brown, and uh, no pictures either. So it was done very fast. That and is kind hilarious. Of off the cuff. But we're it's together, hilarious that you say you were dumb,
0: dumb, and young, yeah, and then you've been together for 27 years.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, I always wonder. I like, feel like I,
0: most people I, do the opposite and also have the opposite outcome.
1: <laughs> I think it's a slow burn. It's like it's like the frog that jumps into the lukewarm water <laughs> versus like the boiling water. <laughs> but I really like Dawn. <laughs> And we have a lot of things in common, importantly. It turns out like that's really important to a long marriage, at least in our case. Um, And you know, it worked out. We've run three businesses together. This is our third business and um, working together, living together, raising kids together, it's intense. And I think because we have so much history together and so much like time getting to know each other before kids, um, we kind of know each other's personalities at this point. So he can like poke at me in the right spot and I can poke at him in the right spot. And then usually, you know, we can get it worked out.
2: It, it's one of those things that people always remind us that we should mention the kids first. Because we're parents first. Yeah. We're, we're always like leading with that like, oh, we're surfers. <laughs>
0: we, we'll, I had we'll no idea. to do that.
1: Yeah, we have a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old.
0: Oh, my God. And both God. like...
1: You know, they're amazing, but occasionally I look around and I'm like, how did I end up with two children when I didn't want any? Um, but it's yeah. been, you know, parenting's amazing. It's just also really grueling, too. There's a there's yeah. a lot that's amazing about it. There's a lot that's, like, really tedious.
2: Oh, my God. I think, yeah. Sean, I, th- I, th- I think you're in the hardest <laughs> stretch. I, th- I think once they get to, like, I don't know, like, like eight, nine years old, you can actually... You can actually have a cogent argument with them, but before then, like it's, it's kind of tough. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's good news. I look at the later years and I feel like, I don't know, any, any of my friends that have young babies or like toddlers, I always think like you're in the easiest time of their life. Like imagine, imagine when they are fully their own human and they can argue with you and make coherent arguments and decisions that you have no input over. That sounds way more difficult.
1: I'd say the the uh, the exact opposite for me. It's like <laughs> this young child screaming, you don't know what they want. There's no conversation. I think someone told me that having like a two-year-old or a three-year-old in particular is like being in an abusive relationship where it's all one-sided. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, for sure. They- <laughs> I had
0: to have a talk with our three-year-old yesterday. I was like, I don't want to fight with you anymore, but I just don't want you to yell at me either. Like, how do I balance the two of those?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it comes with, you know, Executive functioning on the kids' part <laughs> and a lot of patience on your yeah. part.
0: What, uh, what career wise, what were both of you doing before launching any business together? And how did you end up moving, uh, from Japan to New York?
2: Let's see. Okay. I, I was a BMX bum pretty much my whole life. And, uh, I, I made a living, quote unquote, um, as a professional BMXer doing shows and like, you know, competing and whatnot in, in New Zealand, Australia. And, um, we started doing like, um, these kind of hybrid events where we had bands like punk bands play and metal bands play. And, you know, we had a skate jam and bikers, you know, basically all our friends would come down and have a party and we'd get it sponsored by somebody, somebody would, would pay for it. And after doing, A couple of years of that while I was going to college and trying to sling t shirts um, to pay the rent, I actually got a call from Levi's saying, Hey, you know, we've noticed what you've been doing for the last couple of years, uh, and we're actually opening up an office in Korea, and we need somebody to basically interact with culture, like get ahead of the culture, like get people that are making films, music, and sort of bring them into the fold of the brand. And that was my function for several years uh, just to kind of, you know, it's at the time, they didn't really have a term for it. But I would say now people call it influencer marketing. Um, So that was what I did in the Far East. And then, you know, that parlayed into actually designing clothes in Japan. And then um, and then we Let's see, what do we do? Um, we moved to San Francisco. I was a graphic designer for Esprit for a little while. And then we moved to New York. And, um, and then we started basically freelancing for different agencies, etc. for several years. GA, by this time, had, had been accepted to grad school. So she was at ITP, which is like uh, NYU's Tisch School of Arts. And, um, and then 9-11 happened and there was no work, and then I suddenly got a call from Pokemon, and they were looking for a creative director, and I was like, sure, sign me up, so I was creative (laughs) director. This was pre-kids,
1: pre-kids, so it wasn't as cool then.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's a funny story, because, you know, our kids are, uh, or have been of the age where they collect, like, Pokemon cards and stuff, and they they asked me one day and they were like, Hey dad, how come you didn't take any collect any Pokemon cards when you were at Pokemon? And I was like, dude, when I was leaving Pokemon, I was never going to have kids. And I, and there were like (laughs) literally thousands of cards, like collectible cards in the office that probably could have paid my mortgage right now. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, yeah. see you later. Yeah. Anyway. But um, yeah, subsequent to that, um, we both had, um, See, Jay went to grad school for uh, for ITP, and then she got hired by Pentagram, which is um, a big time branding agency. Uh, so the smart people's branding agency, and then I did the the uh, the lowbrow street stuff. And then we had a we had a magazine actually. So we started a magazine when it was actually fashionable to to actually read magazines, and we. Did that for about three and a half years, four years, Um, and that was a real, real interesting business because I I don't know if you've been in the magazine business, but it's it's grueling. It's uh, yeah, I think this was on the 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 waning end of the publishing um, sort of cycle as well.
1: Although I have to say, CPG is way tougher than the magazine industry. Magazine industry. It's got the same parts, right? You've got the distributor part. You've got the re- the wholesale, the retail. And then you've got the advertising component, which would be like for CPG brands, it would be, I guess, the discounts, promos, all the stuff that you have to pay money into. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so pre-meeting John, I was a history and art history grad at NYU. Straight A student was going to do the law, you know, law school um, track. I was pretty argumentative growing up. Like, if there was an argument, I'd go after it, and I was like really dead set on winning. So everyone just assumed I'd be a <laughs> she lawyer. Still is. Yeah, but like, but law is not <laughs> like that. Like, especially the law that I wanted to do was so glacially slow, and I was like, oh, it's like watching paint dry. And it's amazing when it works out, but three years, four years at the attorney general's office doing consumer frauds mediation in college made me realize, okay, maybe this is a little too slow for me. Um, applied to grad school at NYU, there's a program called ITP, the Interactive Telecommunications Program, started by Red Burns. And it's where like people who are interested in technology and art go to kind of play and experiment and put the two together. So for two years, I literally spent my two grad years making sculpture that moved to people's presence. So sensors, motors, you're in front of it, something happens. I made an interactive lamp. We made an interactive portrait that came out of the painting. Um, a little spooky, but cool. Um, and on the strength of, you know, the work that I did at ITP, um, I got a job offer from Pentagram doing, uh, sort of information and interactive and immersive design for, um, public spaces. So we did a lot of, uh, design for, uh, museums like the Walker art center or the Detroit Institute of arts, where we brought collections in museums to life, um, with interactive components. So, and then, you know, wow. you know, the rest of the story. So John, so John and I are interesting because we, I think in all the things that we do, we bring very different complementary skills together. So even when we had Theme Magazine, he was always interested in like the music, the, the street art, and I was like, let's do something on design. So there, we always likened it to like high-brow, low-brow. So John, I mean, and this is not as simple as it sounds, but he tends to come from sort of like street culture. I tend to come from sort of academic minds. You know, like I have really weird interests in like, subjects that I dive really deep into. And that comes from like, I love being in learning spaces. I love learning new things. So, and then even with, um, with, you know, the agency and the, we had a creative agency before the creative agency turned into sea monsters. Um, you know, John is like a real, like, you know, I think this, this is BMX days, like just drop in and see what happens you know right it's a really vertical drop but like just drop in and see where you land on the other side whereas I get it to the top and I look down I'm going oh that's a 90 degree drop like I'm not into that right now but let me see if I can pump my way to that 90 degree drop (laughs) so I think you know like I'm you know we like he's he's like okay let's just do it risk and um and then I'm like okay let's do it but then let's analyze and strategize about how we launch that. So we don't end up with like, you know, losing the shirts off our backs. Um, Not that he's not strategically minded either. John, you want to say anything?
0: Did did you go to, did you go to school or do you have any uh, academic background or were you always learning (laughs) through doing?
2: I've always kind of learned through doing. I, I did go to school for geology. So I could talk to you about gastropods and macro microfossils, but honestly, who's going to talk to me about that? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, but I've always been interested in like music and culture and skateboarding, yeah, film.
1: To, um, so, the reason John chose geology as his major was not because he was interested in rocks. Maybe he had a little bit of interest. He just didn't want to be in a classroom and also, He just wanted to be outdoors, <laughs> camping. So really, he didn't want to be in school. So he's like the exact opposite. I'm like, I love a classroom. I love a like a really like dense subject. I love unpacking all of it. And then on top of which, he got to like the last semester and like was a point or two away from graduating. And he's like, forget it. I'm not interested anymore. I'm out of here. Because he got the job from Levi. So no, he's not a. That's not his. That's not his jam.
0: You're better than I am. Uh, I was never interested in school and kind of similar. I always just like did shit on my own. I had a clothing line while I was in community college and, uh, my, my dad owns a business and always has too. And he, I always thought my parents would be like, uh, really bummed if I didn't continue on a college yeah, track, but I think, I think they knew. Think, they knew.
2: I think I think I think my mom was kind of bummed to be honest. She was like <laughs> she wanted to be like she wanted me to be like a lawyer or like a business person or something, you know, someone that drives a you know fancy car and wears suits all day and that just, just was never me. So yeah.
0: So how mom, did uh so so you you were you were running a creative agency before launching Sea Monsters, what was like the initial idea? Did you have any experience in CPG before? Yes,
2: so f- we run this, we've run this agency for over 20, 20 years now, basically. And across 20 years of creative work, we've done some really amazing projects, including projects with LeBron James, uh, Michael Jordan, Roger Federer, P-Rod, like, you know, you name it, we've probably done it. We, our very first client was Diane von Furstenberg like we we found ourselves on a Sunday across this giant, beautiful table across from this goddess of fashion, and she was like, "I need an agency, darling and of course, we had to create an agency so that's kind of <laughs> how we started the agency and um, let's see you know we we st- really started uh, in the cpg space we got a, we cut we got a call from an ex-client of ours that said, hey, I have a friend that's at Kind Bars or Kind Snacks and they need a brand refresh. And so we had a meeting with Daniel, the founder and the marketing team, and we kind of did the whole nine yards, like a complete brand refresh, tweaking the logo, packaging, website, social media handles, the whole nine. What does the brand feel like? What does the brand sound like? We did workshops and um, that kind of kicked off a whole sort of foray into CPG, so we started doing a whole lot of work for other brands like that. And then, after doing this for several years, you know, we saw so many of these these clients, these client brands find tremendous success, and we kept on looking at ourselves, going, "Wait, as a designer, you get paid by the hour or you get paid <laughs> by the project, and these people have equity." So obviously someone has told us a very different story to what they've been telling these founders and entrepreneurs. So I think we're on the wrong end of this stick. So that's when we were like, you know what, let's look into some white space that we can own ourselves. So that's how the journey kind of began.
0: And, and how did you come across the, the white space or the idea for the initial product?
1: You know, we were both Korean by descent, and we both grew up eating a lot of seaweed. Seaweed soup in particular, it's called miyokguk, is one of my favorites, and John's and the kids, and we eat seaweed sheets, seaweed and salad. So there was that sort of in the brewing in the background, we wanted to find an ingredient that had room for exploration, for experimentation. And then one night I went out to dinner, um, small little restaurant, they gave me this, uh, it's a Korean Korean restaurant, but sort of on the high end fusion. And they gave me this um, this crisp that they had made in-house. And i ate it, and I was like, whoa, did not expect that. So I asked them, like, what is this? Is this seaweed by itself? And it was. I think they had deep fried it, and it was like one of the most delicious things I had eaten. I was like, oh, we should make this. We're like, we can commercialize this. So that kick-started kind of like I came home, and I got really excited. I told John, I said, I think I found the ingredient. Maybe we can figure out how to work with this restaurant to commercialize this. Um, but then ultimately in the end, uh, we, after brainstorming, we realized actually it's not a fried chip we want because we don't want anything fried. Um, we wanted a, a snack using seaweed as a hero ingredient um, that we could kind of experiment with the shape so that it's more fun, more familiar. So we landed on this idea of a seaweed puff. So think of pirate's booty, think of Cheetos. We think of sea monsters as kind of like fun and as like craveable as a bag of Cheetos, but like it tastes dirty. But with clean ingredients and it's sustainable for the planet. Um, And I think really the aha moment because we're from branding backgrounds, right, creative design backgrounds. It really all came to like fruition when we landed on the name Sea Monsters. We're like, whoa, okay, because you know we we'd been kind of like throwing around names, and it just didn't like click. We're like seaweed, okay, interesting ingredient, but like, what's the story? What's the story? How can we present this in a way that's like super fun? um accessible and mass because we don't want this to be a niche product. We want it to be as big and as mass as let's say a bag of Cheetos. We want an alternative to that kind of snack. And once when, when we hit on Sea Monsters, we're like, oh, there's a cast of characters. We got to make some characters. And then we're like, wait a minute, we have a lot of illustrator friends or artist friends. And then, you know, it turns out that John plays soccer with Kevin Lyons, um, who's an amazing artist. And um, you know, his characters are awesome. We're like, we could see a Kevin Lyons character sort of, you know, with a whole host of sea monsters. So we looked at, like, the ocean and um, what creatures are we able- So we started having fun with... The- I love sea urchins. I love to eat them personally, <laughs> but I also <laughs> like the way they look. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little bit disturbing because one of my characters is my favorite seaweed. Um, but, like, we're like, whoa, we can do, like, a starfish. We can do a seaweed hippie. And then we just started having fun with the characters and we were riffing off of, like, you know being inspired by real creatures in the ocean and how we could tweak it and make it more fantastic, right? And make it into our characters. And we gave each of them a name um, and a backstory because of course, in the back of our heads, we're like, all right, <laughs> sitcom is coming. <laughs> <laughs> There's something we can make there, but we're product focused first. Sitcom would be to support the product. Um, but yeah, and you know, we were looking at like our kids and um, our older son, Sinjin, is really like, he's kind of a Garfield character, a little bit grumpy, especially in the morning, (laughs) kind of the hooded eyes, prickly. So, you know, we're like Stanchin the sea urchin as Sinjin and um, our 10 year old is super ganky, super bubbly, super like bouncy. So he could be one of a host of our characters. It could be like Kiki, one of the boxfish, or he could be like um, Pep the starfish. So we were thinking of real people in mind when we came up with the characters. But yeah, I mean, I think it was really the name. It was the name and that aha moment with seaweed and the seaweed. And we're like, oh, it's all coming together.
0: Did you reach out to contacts that you had in CPG to figure out like how to think about launching the brand, like uh, from a business standpoint?
2: Yeah, I mean, we actually reached out to a bunch of founders um, that have done other uh, CPG brands. And, you know, the CPG community has been really wonderful. Like everyone that we've reached out to has been really forthcoming with information. You know, we've, we've made such terrific friendships with people that have made, you know, other brands and they've been super, super helpful with like, oh, this is who you need to speak to, or this is the carrier that we, you know, use, or these are the lawyers, blah, blah, blah. So that uh, married with the amount of research that we've done over the past five years has really served us well in just making sure that every piece that we touch in this journey really builds upon, you know, everything that we've built. So I don't know, we've been really sort of try, we we've tried to be as strategic and and smart as possible in, in building this thing, but of course, like, you know, building a CPG business is rife with just making mistakes, but Making mistakes, I, I feel is part of the journey, and you have to kind of learn from every single mistake and and not make them again, right? So that's that's been the journey so far.
1: Um we've made really expensive mistakes, but <laughs> we've been able to come back from them because it's not like um, you know it's when you're when you're making a mistake, when you're you've commercialized a product or on the way to commercializing a product, it's a lot of stuff, right? Like ingredients, production. You make one mistake on roll stock, and then you've lost that whole run. Um, but it's you know, it's like we've been told by other founders, expect to make lots of them, expect them to be really expensive. It's just you got to build it into your cost of doing business. Um, and don't beat yourself up for it because you know ultimately you just have to go forward. You just have to move forward and learn from it.
0: Did you end up raising money to to launch the brand? We've had two rounds so far. so we've had our initial
2: friends and family round where we you know talk to friends that, that you know are in this kind of line of business that invest in other things and friends that we really trusted to come on early. and, uh, um, and they've, been, they've been really terrific um, just helping us out with connections and thinking through the business and thinking through raising and, and all sorts of things. And then uh, recently we just closed a round with some really trusted advisors that have done this journey before. And, uh, we, the round, I mean, luckily knock on wood, we were oversubscribed and, um, you know, we've had to turn people away, which was kind of, you know, not, not, not great feeling, but, you know, it's, you know, in this sort of financial environment, we thought we felt we were really lucky to be, you know, so such a, in a, in a position to do that. So it's, it's been a really, um, really interesting exercise.
0: What does it feel like now being on the other side of the, of the card that you were describing versus being like in a client work relationship?
1: It's so like, I wish we had the kind of iterative collaborative um, experience in our agency life that we have currently now with the vendors that we work with. Cause we almost require it of the people that we work with, because I think, the difference with an agency model is that oftentimes you get briefed, you go back with your team, you come up with an idea, you do round one presentation. You get your feedback, you go back, you debrief, create more work, go to round two. And then you cycle, and hopefully you hit it in round three, but sometimes it goes to four, five, six. And I think um, working that way, like there's some value to that because you have space as a creative team to make the work. But in some ways, you um, you're working sort of in a vacuum and it was so instructive to actually start see monsters, see it grow, see what we need, how fast we needed to work. Actually, you need to work really fast in CPG. I'm like, there's no way I can hire an agency. If we weren't doing the design, I'm like, there's no way I could hire an agency and say, okay, you have three weeks, go do the work, come back, let me get your feedback. It's just, it's too, it's too uh, laden with um, like, guardrails, and lack of visibility. So
0: yeah, that part's it's been so really It's so funny because I've been on both mm-hmm. sides and I uh, realized after one of my startup experiences that the value proposition or just like the way of working mm-hmm. like that, I wasn't as interested in anymore. I find it ironic though, because I work in like an agency situation now, but it's like literally day-to-day work, uh, which sometimes I get down on myself about because like the highest, most lucrative agency working situations, like they want you to be, they want the presentation of it. But I think the businesses that I'm interested in happen to be startups. I love learning mm. and it happens in very short cycles and you don't have the luxury of like taking something back working in your own air and space for like a period of time and then coming back and presenting and i found that or my theory at the time was like people maybe just like the area that i was working in like that there's really like no value in that you could do better iterating live with someone But I think the trick is you have to find people you're, like, really down to work with and be with. Otherwise, that's not a very fun experience for either side, probably.
1: No, it's funny. I got this article on psychological safety from... I can't remember which publication and I send it to John and I send it to my director of ops, Jack. I was like, are we providing you enough psychological safety in this team <laughs> environment? Cause I'm like, you kind of need that. Cause we work so fast. But I was like, I'm just doing a gut check. <laughs> like, are you yeah. allowed to say what you want and disagree with me because like, you know, we're giving you this safe space, but yeah, exactly like that. If you have the right client, if you have the right team, you can work really nimbly. I think it's just when you have a client or a team where there's not a ton of transparency or trust, it's really hard to work in that kind of pressure cooker environment and with full transparency.
0: Yeah. I think also having fun doing it. uh, Because I feel like the, one of the main things I hear from brands or even like myself in the past when I was running a brand, like I, you always want it to be fun or you want the brand to be like fun and engaging. And I think like a really challenging thing is while you're running a stressful business, like you personally have to get back into that mindset in order for any of it to actually be fun. And for like the creative people around you to show up and be willing to say random shit that might hit sometimes and might not hit at other times is like so important
2: yeah absolutely and we, we we've actually been blocking time out in our calendars for us like if we see you know the swell on the horizon we block out days and we just tell people we cannot get on calls and so that we can go surf because i think it is part of the journey we have to be mentally like you say in that space and we have to have fun and we have to enjoy the journey and that's something that we we've been talking a lot about because we see so many brands and founders get into this sort of this mindset of like, Oh, kill everything. And then they just become somebody else, you know, and, and I think because this isn't our first rodeo, we're trying to make sure that we're really considered in, in making sure, you know, we're mentally in a, in a space that, that we can enjoy the ride and can enjoy every part of this building process.
1: And it's been incredibly fun. Like, like I haven't (laughs) had this much fun in a really long time building a business. (laughs) So, I mean, super stressful, but like incredible amounts of fun.
0: That's amazing. Uh, I, yeah, I just think like the fun aspect of it is way more important than people realize. Like even uh, the other thing I feel like I hear a lot about is community building or like, that's like everyone's aim to build a community. I mean, obviously, you know why, like if you have a community of fans or like people interested in the brand, your brand's probably going to be doing well financially also. Uh, but I just find it fascinating because in order to do that really well, like you just have to be present with people, mm. show up, have a good time yeah, and do things that you would want to be doing in that situation. But I think the balancing of like expectations of a business with that is like very counterintuitive for people to really lean into that or it's like very faith based which sounds odd like you have to have the faith that if i show up and do this for the right reasons that people will like really rally around what i'm doing and it's hard to correlate that with any of the like projecting aspects of business
2: yeah and i think what we're finding is even building our own team like we're trying to make sure that the pe- the people that we surround ourselves are in the same sort of mindset that we are like the ability to be not just focused so much on work but also just be interesting people and that's you know you look around this the cpg landscape and there's so many brands that are I don't know. I mean, you've been to Expo West, right? Like there's a certain kind of mindset of people that go there and the, the certain kind of mindset in these brands. And we're trying to break away from that and be sort of completely different because we, we want everybody that that comes into the brand to be interesting and be aware and like have really specific goals for what they want to do with the brand. And that's, um, that's something that, that's a North Star for us. It's something that we're cogniz- we're really cognizant of as we try and build a team that that you know that we go to war with, I guess. Yeah. I mean, ours- I
0: feel like that's the best marketing though, too, is like value, uh, like actual values, you know, exactly. that you really believe in and then the people around you buy into the same thing. I feel like consumer interactions, like they buy into that too, even if they don't know it. Like the word spreads because of that.
1: And we're just, we're figuring this out as we go, right? Cause like, you know, this came up because we are growing. Our team is growing. We hired our first full-time hire two months ago, right after Expo West. He actually came to work with us at Expo West. We interviewed him like two days before Expo West. We're like, you know what? You live in Portland. We're doing Expo West. We're going to fly you down there. And that's going to be like, <laughs> that's the trial. And he was so game. He came completely prepared with a pitch. I showed up and he was like pitching c- customers at our booth. And I was like, oh, didn't get all of it right. But man, you're like, you're like owning it. Like he literally like stated it like he knew it as a fact. Um, and, you know, and we're we're in the market for a sales director. And we've met with some really talented sales folks. Um, but again, it's such a small team that it has to be the right cultural fit because we're going to be talking on a daily basis. And, um, you know, part of the, the interview process is we always say like, what's not on your resume that you would like us to know? Like, what are some quirks? What are some passions? Like, do you have a sport you like? Do you cook corn muffins every week and something so that (laughs) we can start to know you as a human being so that when things get a little heated and rough because we're under stress, like, I can remember that like there's this like fact about you that makes you human and I can connect with. And um for Jack, I mean, he does like really awful dad jokes, which John absolutely loves, <laughs> and they go over my head because I'm like, uh it takes me like a beat after he says it. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me roll back and ha ha that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I think we have to have fun, otherwise this is like this is you can you can you can get like you know, crushed under the pressure of mounting task list. Um, but I do have to say again, I'm having the most fun I've had in a really long time. And I think John is too.
0: How do you, how do you guys balance each other out in uh, like in work? I know you've worked together for a long time. So it's not like this is like a new experience inside of the brand.
2: We've had long discussions about this, you know, because so many people find it a challenge. You know, they, they find it really interesting that we've been working together for so long. And it's a question, I I don't think we've we've ever been like, oh, you do this, or you do that. I think it's more like, have you ever been in a commercial kitchen where like, you know, if things start to fall apart, like people will start to like, oh, you'd left out the garnish, I'll put that there. Or, you know, that plate is hot. Like I'll put something under it. It's this unspoken sort of thing where we're like, okay, she needs help with this. I'm just gonna put this here. So it e- makes her life easier or, oh, Crap! I, I need to do this. Can she help me? So it's like a, it's kind of like a circus act, and I don't think it's we've ever kind of spoken about it. You know, what I
1: mean? like it's wait, like, what are you talking about? I speak it at. I speak about this at depth. Are you not listening to me?
2: Maybe maybe that's the key. She's talking and I'm not listening. Maybe that's I don't the...
1: understand. I have project meeting project management meetings about. I like your very sort of sweet take on this.
0: Yeah, oh that's God. a much more poetic take but i feel like um my wife and i work together and i feel like our situation is more like that (laughs) a circus (laughs) but i find it enjoyable too
2: i mean basically it's like having kids right you know like yeah if the kid's not fed like one of you has to feed it the kid needs changing one of you has. (laughs) yeah yeah
1: so it's it's a game of chicken
2: who can Basically. hold
1: out the longest? I think John probably wins because he's really good at pushing things I'm under very, the rug. I'm very good at it. <laughs> I'm not as good, so I, I'm, I'm more proactive. No, I, I think again, like it comes down to like what complementary skills are you bringing to the table. I used to think John and I were exactly the same when we were first married, because we were too, again, young and stupid to know the difference. (laughs) And it took me like 25 years. I remember waking up one day. I'm like, no, we're actually really different. And we're going to lean into our difference. (laughs) Um, And it really is about like, you know, what is he good at? What am I good at? And it might not lock in step in terms of division of responsibilities. Like this is 50%. This is 50%. But ultimately, like, if we both lean into what we're good at and we give support in the areas where we're not as good, um, I think it all works out. But not to say we haven't had heated arguments and moments of stress, um, but actually like, it's actually the more, the, the bigger this brand is becoming it, the less stressful it is in some ways because it's, it's up and running, it's off to the races. And now yeah. it's just about like, all right, like, what's the best plan for getting it to where we wanna go?
0: What has it been like for both of you going from like creative careers and now you're still doing something very creative, but it's not like directly, or maybe you are spending all your time on creative, I don't know, uh, into more of like management roles.
2: I think I know what you mean. I I mean, you know, there there comes, uh, every, every creative evolves, right? So first you do, like the graphic design or you, you're looking at typography and then you're looking at like you know whatever and then it becomes like spreadsheets and then like managing clients or whatever so every creative really does evolve so when you get to the high level view of what design is or creativity is it it's in service to something right so i th- i think if you think of it from that perspective what we're building is sort of in line with that. I mean, the, the ultimate idea is for, you know, to create a brand or to create a narrative for a brand. And that's something that hasn't changed. Um, what has changed is, is our day-to-day function. We, I feel like we're learning something completely new every day, whether it's like sales function, operations, raising money, talking to investors, you know, or even like talking to press or, you know, make, learning about TikTok, like every day it feels like something completely new. And that's what makes it kind of interesting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we've never really been super comfortable in front of the camera. We've been fine telling Michael Jordan where to sit and, you know, like all of that stuff, (laughs) but to be in front of the camera is like a completely new world because we're, we're not used to it. But I think it's something that we kind of have to get used to like, and it's, it's kind of refreshing. It makes it a completely different challenge. So it makes, you know, I think it's time for us to to try something new,
1: yeah, I think we we both lean into scary and fear in the same way. When something scares us, we don't run away. We're like, huh, that's interesting. Like, all right, like let's go for it. Let's see what let's how far we can push that fear before we we buckle. So I think like that's the way we kind of jumped into every business that we did, like the 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 magazine. We cashed out our four hundred one ks. I mean, this was before kids, so you could think (laughs) about doing that. And I didn't think, oh my god, whatever forty percent penalty on that, right? I was just like, oh, there's cash sitting there. We're not doing anything with it, you know? Let's like let's cash it and like do the magazine. Um, And then same thing. It was scarier with the with the sea monsters because we have two kids, and um, you know we have a mortgage, but. We're like, all right, there's faith here that if this doesn't work out, we know how to make money by going back to creative director jobs. So, um, you know, the, the incentive outweighed the risk in this case. And I, to John's point, I, I talk to people who are sort of business minded and they're like, oh, you know, I just don't think I've ever been creative. And, you know, like, what's it like being a creative director or like, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, actually, strategy is quite creative. Creativity is just about looking at a problem in a different way. It could be visual, it could be through words, it could be through sounds, um, it could be through spreadsheets. I've seen some incredibly creative spreadsheets where you have to make a lot of decisions about how do I wanna convey the data so that it's frictionless, that it's really easy for the user because the easier it is for the user, the more they're gonna use it. So for me, um, creating a brand from the ground up has been one of the most creative jobs I've ever done. Um, Even in thinking about what promotions to run, which retailer, at what periods, and overpulsed over how many times a year. Once I got the language of it, I was like, oh, it's like a little dance. It's a dance between this retailer, this retailer, this discount, this discount. And so it's about coming up with that. And salespeople call it story. At first, I was like, what kind of story is that? That's like just numbers. (laughs) But they are right. It is a story. What story do you want to tell? about how you're gonna succeed in that retailer and how are you gonna support that? It's a number story, but it's a story nonetheless. So I always tell people like, don't think of creativity as sort of a visual discipline. Creativity is a mental discipline and the execution, the actual end result changes depending on what discipline you're in.
0: I totally agree. I I feel like I've always thought that way about any job or like, originally i started a clothing line and then ended up getting hired by vf who owns vans and a bunch of other brands and i always just felt like even if i'm working in footwear or in clothing or whatever like it's all the same it's just ideas and different ways of doing things what do you feel like has been the biggest learning lesson throughout or or is there any advice you would give yourself as going back to before launching Sea Monsters that you feel like would would have helped?
2: I think for me, it's the idea of perseverance, because I think so many brands out there have great, great ideas, right? Or great product, or they have great stories, whatever else. I think the majority of them just give up, right? Because it gets too difficult or gets too whatever, they run out of money or they see some sort of challenge in front of them and they're like, okay, that's it. That's the end of the road for me. And there have been times in this journey where it, we could have done the same. We could have, you know, we've had, um, issues with like trademark. We've we've had issues with raising funds where we could have been like, Oh, you know what? That's it. We're done. Like, but I think, I, I, I think we just believe, I, I, I want to say like, we, we, believe that we can overcome these challenges. And that, that's that been the biggest learning for me, is that if you put your mind to it, you probably can, right?
1: I would agree with that. I think time, give it time. And it's okay if it's a slow burn. Um, we were always in a hurry. We're like, oh, we, gotta, com- we gotta, get, you gotta perfect the puff so that we can commercialize it, so we can get the sales team. And we were, it was a little bit frustrating in the year, because it took us four, four years to get the product that we wanted. We didn't know at the time when we started that puffs are some of the hardest products to kitchen. Is it benchtop testing? Benchtop test, because you can't do it in a kitchen. You have to do it on the puffing, the extrusion machine. And those extrusion machines require, um, they're like multimillion dollar machines and you need line time on that machine. So we had very few, it was like really like very costly every time we wanted to improve the product. And there was a lot of time in between to find the right manufacturing partner um, because the previous one didn't work out. Their machine wasn't. And it turns out extrusion is like an incredibly complicated and organic process. I was like, can't you just dial in all the numbers and give me the same product over and over? I don't understand. Like I was a designer and I was like, so what's the heat setting? What? And they're like, no, no you don't understand. The ambient temperature, the humidity of the air, the crankiness of the machine, they all factor into the temperature of the machine, the speed of the machine, the dyes you're using, I was like, whoa, like it's very mind blowing. So it took four years to get to product that we wanted. And there was a lot of like, this is not gonna happen because it's so dependent on the partnerships that you build the co-packing partnership, especially if you really care about the quality of your product. So, you know, we could have given up and there were moments of John is definitely more of a, it's gonna work out. And I'm just like, you know, F-bombing, left and right, going, I quit, I quit, I quit. Um, and then he's like, and then he ignores me. Like, you know, when he says we, we don't have any troubles working together and that there's no project management, he kind of ignores me. And then I let it all out. And then I'm like, all right, ready to begin again.
0: You basically just answered my question about how do you balance each other out. It sounds pretty healthy, honestly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, at least for business. Like, to have one person that's just, like, dead set and... Uh, believes it'll all work out, great.
1: And then you've got the naysayer who's like poking holes in every direction. Yeah,
0: um, that would be me and my wife would be the really positive, just like eternal optimist that everything will always work out.
1: They do, actually. They will. So it depends on the way you look at yeah. it. Everything works out no matter what. <laughs> your your business might have failed. <laughs> But you will have yeah. forgotten it 10 years later and it will all work out. <laughs> I call yeah. You call it like, op, like what do you call it? Perennial optimism. I call it de- delusional op- optimism. Yeah. Um, which it, both are good. You know, like I think you need a little yeah. bit of delusion in order to start a company because um, yeah. there's so many things that can fail. and uh, But you also need a naysayer because that's how you create the robust... Framework and structure that you grow on because you got to iterate and you got to make sure that you're learning from the mistakes, but without getting like crushed by the the emotional yeah. like you know anxiety of it. So yeah, total balancing yeah. act.
0: I feel like that's a uh, great great partnership.
2: Yeah, I think earlier on, I
0: think we had
2: we've had long discussions about what makes it work, and I think we agree that we're playing for the same side. We have the same end goal in mind, which is, you know, just to make it work. I mean, maybe it's not the same end goal, but I mean, definitely playing for the same side. And, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, playing on opposite sides. We're trying to sort of sabotage each, each other. And, you know, it, as long as we can agree to that, I think um, that's half the battle.
1: I try to get him to give me 51% of the company. Cause I thought we should be women owned. (laughs) No, actually he suggested it. And I, I offered, you offered. And I was like, nah, that doesn't seem like the right spirit of what it means to be woman owned. But I like the idea of having 51%.
0: Thank you guys so much for doing this.
2: Receipt, receipt, receipt.